Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. All right, we're going right to the phones. Joining us from Tightline Outdoors is that we have somebody from Tightline on every week in the middle of the show, and they're just such a great resource. And one of those great resources is uh, angler Matt Ensley. Mr. Ensley, I saw your topic is fishing the small ponds, and I can't believe there's a better home run coming up than that right now. It's beginning to happen right now, Terry. Good morning. Good morning, sir. But, yeah, you know, uh, we've had this winter that won't quit. And that we've had on and off again ice on the front range where there's been some ice fishing, and there still is some, and there's good ice fishing up in the mountains, but hard to get around. There's a lot of snow, but I am ready. I've moved on from ice fishing. I'm ready for open water, and the first real opportunity, because they warm up faster, are the small lakes and ponds, aren't they? Absolutely. Little small ponds, you know, one acre, half acre, two acres, three acres, that size body of water will thaw almost immediately, and, and many have opened up. We've got open water along the South Platte and a number of the ponds here in the Front Range. Well, and there's a couple different things I'm sure you want to talk about. One is these ponds are stocked heavily, and they have they maintain populations of panfish and bass, and those are opportunistic things that we can talk about, and they'll be available on almost all of them. Another thing that I don't want to slip by this year is the fact that a lot of the smaller lakes and even the larger ones on the front range are heavily stocked with trout going into the fall. And the bigger ones have a lot of holdover trout. And as we go into the fall, uh, they stock them heavily knowing that a lot of those fish, there's going to be a lot of those are going to be taken ice fishing. This year, we didn't have very good ice. I've talked to like Bar Lake and St. Varane Ponds and those places, and the ice fishing was pretty sparse. I think there's going to be a tremendous opportunity, even before all the ice is off from shore, to catch rainbow trout at some of these small ponds, Matt. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Terry. The, the small ponds are stocked with every species uh, here in the state. You've got trout, you've got in some cases, walleye, sometimes they may have been stocked. In most cases, they just get in in high water and wait till uh, the runoff begins. The snowpack in the mountains is the best it's ever been. And uh, you're talking about avalanches earlier. Uh, that snow is going to melt, and when that uh, snow runoff starts to occur, the Platte River is just going to be flooded. It's going to come down in a torrent, and that's how walleye get in a lot of those ponds along the uh, the Platte River. So how do you approach? Now, uh, We I don't know if you want to talk trout or not. We can talk whatever you want, but any of the ponds, whatever species, which ones do you like to go at? What are you seeing open up? And over the next couple of weeks, where would you, what are some of the areas you'd go and how would you approach them? Well, you know, our front range, uh, front range main lakes like Chaffield, Cherry Creek, uh, Aurora, even Quincy, which is a smaller body of water, it's only 180 acres, they're still covered in ice. Now that's going to disappear soon, but we're still looking at a week, 10 days, maybe a couple of weeks before that ice is gone. These small ponds, a number of them have opened up. I like the South Platte Park area. There's four or five ponds along there that uh, have begun to open up. Some are completely open. And uh, also St. Green, you mentioned that. And uh, for warmer water speed, and they do have trout in all these uh, ponds that I'm talking about. 
but uh, the warmer water uh, species lakes are bald eagle and uh, blue herring are known for bass, bluegill, crappie. Um, like I said, everything that swims is in these ponds. They've been stocked there over the years. The key to fishing these ponds is to downsize your presentations, particularly this time of year. Water's still cold. Ice has just receded, but the oxygen levels have jumped with the ice receding. So you can get into a pretty aggressive bite using small baits. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times you would think of those uh, presentations as more of a trout uh, bait. I'm talking, you know, 16th ounce, 8th ounce uh, baits and, you know, 2 to 3 inch size uh, tube baits, uh, grubs, uh, small three inch jerk baits, uh, and slow way down on your presentation. Remember, this water temperature is still in the 30s, even though it's opened up. Now, my experience has been I know a lot of people are going to look for ponds that are completely open, but that's not necessarily the case. If there's, if there's castable water open on a pond, a lot of times that edge of that ice is almost like a piece of structure, and that warmer, oxygenated water that is between that ice and the shore can be a gold mine. Right. Fish the edge. Cast on the ice and pull it right off of the edge of the ice, particularly for trout. They'll be sitting right under that ice, and that bait falls off the edge of that ice, and they'll just clobber it. I have... Uh, done so well doing exactly what you said and and what i like to do in that case now you talked about jerk baits and if you also talked about soft plastics but i'll take i'll take a little um a little jig and even if i have to put a casting bubble on it to get it out there but i'll get it out there if i can cast without it i do out towards the edge of the ice or on the ice and pull it off and some of the smaller gulp products just on a even an unweighted hook but or a lightly weighted jig or a small jig can be just phenomenal absolutely Smaller at this time of year is the best presentation on all of these small bodies of water. As as we move into you know the spawn season and, and on into summer, you can start to upsize your presentations a little bit. But stay small and stay slow. Light line too is a critical um, uh, must for fishing these small baits. When you're fishing the small baits, we had a discussion online with Steve Panaz earlier in the show. And Steve and I kind of go both ways. You know, a lot of people are starting out, I'll, I'll advise them to use monofilament because it's forgiving and inexpensive, but they have to keep it changed. A lot of people will try to use super lines, but then you do have some visibility there, and also you have to understand your knots. I fish a lot of very small super lines on spinning gear this, this in the spring like this so I can get good casting distance, but I always almost put maybe like a four-pound fluorocarbon leader. What's your preference? Because everybody's different. Yes, I use braided line. Uh, different manufacturers make uh, some great products now that are really advanced on the braided line. Typically six, eight-pound tests this time of year, nothing any larger than that, and then tie on just as you said a fluorocarbon leader of four to six pound test to keep it light. Uh, the only uh, difficulty with braided line right now is if you're getting out early or late and the temperatures are freezing, braided line does absorb water. So if you're having that problem, you have to stay with a, a complete mono or fluorocarbon uh, line to eliminate the freezing situation. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, do you find that now, do you think that we're late this spring, obviously, and we're going to get some more snow in the middle of the week, it sounds like. How do you think this is going to play out as far as, like, the crappies and the bluegills and the bass and their spawn, pre-spawn? Do you think the ice will be long gone before that happens and there won't be an effect, or do you think there'll be a delay? 
there'll be a, a pre spawn. They're pre spawn right now, even though there's ice. Uh, but what happens is, is that pre spawn period gets uh, shrunk to a shorter window. Instead of, you know, a month time period, you're you're going to have uh, ten days or two weeks at the most, and then they're going to be moving to spawn. Uh, it just gets compressed. Now I'm going to ask you. I want to ask you for panfish, maybe some small lakes with walleyes, and then if you just wanted to go catch a bunch of trout, didn't care how big they were, give me three spots over the next couple weeks that you might try to hit. Well, I really like, on the, uh, I'll break this into the south uh, uh, south of Denver and the north of Denver. I really like the South Platte Park area. There are a number of ponds in there. They're chalked full of trout, but they have some giant smallmouth. And because they're very close to the Platte River during the, the runoff and flood conditions, they're full of walleye. And some of the walleye in those ponds caught walleye over 10 pounds out of a pond that's in a couple acres, three or four acres at the most. And you go, what are they doing here? They're not naturally stocked in there, but they get in out of the Platte River during the high uh, runoff periods. Um, another one for uh, bass, smallmouth particularly, would be Bear Creek. They also have some. Bear, Bear Creek. How about the uh, saw guys at Bear Creek? Have you had much luck with those in the spring? Absolutely. Jerk baits. <laughs> Anything drug on the bottom. Uh, another secret bait that I use a lot uh, this time of year for, for the uh, not just saw guy, but also the wall in these ponds is a, a fluke. Uh, typically, that's known as a swimming bait or almost a topwater bait. Uh, Zoom makes one that everyone's come out with them now, but a three three and a half inch fluke on a darter head jig. Throw that out, get it to the bottom, and drag it along very slowly. And those big walleye will pick it up and uh, swallow it. So that's that's a good technique. Now the jerk bait's probably my number one. Now trout. If you were just going to go, I, I I know that a lot of these waters like Bar Lake, Saint Borain, I'm sure down at the ponds, Chatfield, even the big lakes, but a lot of the smaller lakes and ponds were heavily stocked with trout last spring. Now, they have holdover trout also, but even these 8, 10 inchers are now 10, 12 inchers through the winter. And I think because of the lack of ice fishing pressure, there's going to be an abundance of them. And I think the time to get out there is actually starting right now. Do you have a couple that jump out at you? Right. North of town, you mentioned St. Brain. There's a number of uh, ponds in St. Brain. Some are heavily stocked with trout. Others are a bit more known as bass or crappie uh, bluegill lakes. The Sawhill Ponds north of town and Sloan's Lake, all of those are full of trout. Those are great options. And don't, like I said, don't forget Bar Lake, and don't forget some of the lakes up in northern Colorado where I live, too. Uh, Horsetooth and Boyd, even though they're bigger lakes, you can get a lot of good fishing in from shore right now because they are opening up and there is open water. Matt, we got to run, but as always, great, great information. Um, If people want to book a guide trip with you guys, how do they get a hold of you? You can uh, go to our website, Tackling Outdoors, and uh, you can reach us there or our Facebook page or call 720-775-7770, and we'll hook you up with a guide trip. Now, are you getting close? I mean, you hopeful that you'll be booking open water guide trips pretty quickly? Uh, waiting on these main lakes to open up, but that's going to happen in the next two weeks, and then we'll be on the, on the water immediately, uh, trolling planer boards and minnow baits for Uh, pre-spawn and spawn walleye. All right, my friend, you have a good, enjoy this sunshine, my friend. We need it. Yes, we do. Need it for nothing else if attitude, if nothing else.
Exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. That's Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, Will is one of my favorite guys. Now to make him wait while we listen to the Eagles really isn't fair to him, but we're gonna. Sorry, Will. I almost find myself singing along. I better go to Will before I do. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Will Dykstra. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Terry. How's it going today? You know, it's going well. And I understand you're down at the RV show doing seminars on pike fishing. You were doing seminars on pike fishing today. We're doing seminars on uh, how to boost your trout fishing game, three techniques so that'll allow you to catch more and bigger trout. And then we're also going to be talking uh, at the end of the day down here about some some walleye fishing that we have here in Colorado. That you know, Terry, you you know as well as anybody that's fished all over the country. We've got some pretty dang good fisheries around here. Oh, they're tremendous. Although pike, I don't know why you bother. There's no pike in Colorado. I go to Minnesota no. and I go to Canada when I want pike. You know, all, right. all, all seriousness that I can tell you just two days off the top of my head. I remember one day on a body water in Colorado catching a number of pike, three of them between 36 and 40 inches. I can remember another uh, day on a body water in Colorado where I didn't catch any huge pike, but they were all in the 30s and I caught about 40 of them. So, yeah, right. we do have some pike fishing here. We we have some of the, you know, some phenomenal pike fishing. And, and uh, you know, of course, we have the challenges of it not being a desirable species here. But, you know, in the bodies of water that they are now, um, everybody's working hard to try to coexist, if you will. So, uh, you know, but like you said, we have having a day where you can catch, you know, double-digit uh, numbers of fish that are over 30 inches is is pretty good. And when you're talking especially about being in the lower 48 and, and south of the Canadian border, you know, that's hard to find. Oh, you're absolutely right. Now, Will is the um, the uh, senior predator guide for Tightline Outdoors, and you guide for all species of fish, but pi- the pike, musky type fish are among your favorites. Where are we at right now? We're having a late spring. By now, you'd almost, you know, the pike should be almost in spawn. I don't know if you're accessing them through the ice. And where are we headed over the next few weeks, Will? You know, so right now, this is a, actually a great time of year to be targeting northern pike through the ice here in Colorado. And uh, the reason for that is these fish right now are, are going to be pre-spawn fish. So those fish are going to be hungry, and uh, they're definitely trying to pack on the pounds before they uh, really start uh exerting all that energy during the spawn when they tend to lose, you know, 25, 35, up to 40% of their body weight um, during the spawn. So they're really trying to stock up right now or, or uh, pack on the pounds for, for for that spawn coming up. So right now targeting these pipes through the ice is a great way to catch them. And there's a handful of different ways you can do that. You know, a way that, you know, kind of a tried and true way that kind of started in the Midwest and, and uh, you know, you see a lot of guys doing it is uh, tip-up fishing. And you know, basically, what you have is you have a tip-up that you uh, or a, a spool of line on a flag system that, when uh, the spool gets tripped, the flag pops up and and you go over. And instead of landing these fish on a rod and reel, you're actually handlining these fish, which is also another you know another aspect of fishing that you a uh, you might not be familiar with, but b it's a lot of fun too because it can really test you and challenge you and. and uh, 
you know, kind of literally hand-to-hand combat with these big northern pike. I'll tell you what, you get 15, 20 pounds of northern pike on the end of a line, and you're holding it between your fingers. If it's super line, you better be wearing a glove and don't have it wrapped around your finger because they will pull. But that being Hold it, absolutely. That being said, because you don't have the the fish doesn't have the lever of a rod to use against you, a big fish at times will come in even easier until you get it to the hole than you think. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, I'd say that's uh, most of the time, you know, when you're talking about fighting a fish on a rod and reel, most of the time if you lose that fish, it happens while a fish is under the ice away from you. And it's because... Like you said, the leverage you don't necessarily have with a fishing rod. Um, but when you're talking going hand-to-hand, it allows you to kind of speed up or slow down and keep constant pressure on that fish. And I'd say most of the time, if you lose a fish on a, on a, on a tip-up, you know, with that, with that super line or, you know, we use Dacron, like a 36-pound Dacron that's still, you know, it's almost like rope, kind of like a string line for the yard. But anyhow, um, most of the time, if you lose a fish on a tip-up, it's going to be right there at the hole. So that's kind of something I wanted to talk about is when you're pike fishing through the ice, you know, a lot of times we're using a quick strike rig, which is, which whether it's a, uh, a zero rig style where you've got two treble hooks, one at the nose of your bait, and one at the tail of your bait, or uh, one single treble hook in the middle of the back, you know, that's kind of what we call a, a quick strike rig. And what that does is it allows you to basically get hooks on the fish before they swallow that bait, which is, you know, for those of us that are really big on catch and release of these big trophy predators, that's kind of that's kind of the rig that we go to. But you know, you got a lot of hooks right there when you're trying to land these fish through the ice. So a lot of teeth that too. <laughs> a lot of teeth too. And there's a there's a cool product out there that's been around for a while. It's called a Lindy glove, and it's basically like a Kevlar glove that uh, is going to be for the most part hook proof and and definitely tooth proof. And uh, that's something that I always have with me when I'm pike fishing through the ice so that I can uh, make sure I get that fish up through the hole. You know, when you're talking about an 8 to 10 inch hole and you've got a, a 36 to 40 inch pike there, there's not much room around for you to grab. So, uh, you know, a lot of times we just try to almost lip them like you would a bass um, with that Lindy glove. So having a good heavy duty glove uh, can definitely help your, uh, your catch rate as far as making sure you close the deal getting that fish through the hole. Now, what kind of depths are you finding them at? They're in pre-spawn right now. A lot of times they'd be open water, but there's still ice. I'm sure you're talking places like 11 Mile. You can't get into Spinney yet, maybe maybe um, Terriol and maybe some of the other lakes around. Any particular depths or pointers you can give to people that are out looking? You know what? Most of, the t- most of, the, most of our fish right now are going to be in that 10 to 14 feet of water as they're, as they're pre-spawn. And uh, these fish are cruising, like we said earlier. They're on the hunt. They're, they're certainly... Uh, in the feeding mode and what a lot of people make the biggest mistake of when they're ice fishing for pike is whether you're using a, a water dog or whether you're using a, a dead sucker or a dead chub um the the bait presentation is key and what a lot of people end up doing is they will be sending their lines close to the bottom or just off the bottom because they assume that's where the fish are fishing. well right now these fish are on the hunt they're actually up in the water column so what i'll do to start the day is I'm going to start, I'll set, you know, depending on how many people I have fishing with me and, and, you know, barring everybody having a second rod stamp is we'll, you know, set, you know, six to eight tip ups up and uh, we'll do stuff, everything from six to eight inches under the ice, you know, right, literally direct to, directly beneath the hole all the way down to, you know, I'd say eight feet below the ice, depending on where you're at, but I'm definitely not putting anything directly on the bottom. And there's a handful of reasons for that. But the biggest reason is, you know, these pike, their eyes are on the top of their head. 
for the most part, and, you're, and they're not going to necessarily be looking down to feed. Right now, they're looking up to feed. So that's why uh, that's the biggest mistake that a lot of people make right now when targeting pike through the ice, especially as we're getting to this late ice uh, pre-spawn mode where these fish are actually on the hunt. So you're going to present your lure or your bait to uh, a lot more fish if it's up higher in the water column, which will allow those fish to see it. Now, the other thing is is the, the way your bait's hanging or the way your bait's sitting. And nowhere in nature does a sucker, you know, or, or a water dog sit, you know, with its nose up and its tail down or upside down. I mean, obviously, unless it's dead. And, and clearly these fish this time of year, they can be scavengers for sure, but you want to have that presentation as natural as possible. So make sure when you're setting this, that you have your, your bait balanced, whether it's a frozen sucker or a dead sucker or a dead chub, like we said, or even a water dog, and make sure you're, you're placing the hooks. If you're using a single, a single treble hook style rig, make sure you're placing that hook as close to the center of that fish as you can. And then uh, the other thing with, with the zero rig, which is with the two uh, treble hooks on it, that you're on the nose and on the tail, and it's basically going to be uh, a, a triangle, if you will, up here, snap with your rig where that bait's going to be sitting perfectly horizontal because nothing turns a fish off more than something that doesn't look natural, especially when they're kind of, they're feeding, but especially when they're a little bit finickier as they are this time of year. Now, we're almost out of time, but it's not going to be long before some of these these, uh, bodies water open to open water fishing for pike. And uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people think that they catch these big pike in these bays when they're spawning, which is probably not true. They probably move into those bays and spawn after they've pre-spawn fed, move back out, and then as that bay warms up, they move back in to gain that energy back, and especially those big females like to eat and sit in that sun. Is that what you see at lakes like Spinney and 11 Mile? Absolutely. You know, and I'll be quick with it, but, you know, basically the fish go in shallow to spawn, and when they're in spawning, they're almost impossible to catch, and they're going to spawn for two to three weeks. That's the last full moon of April here in Colorado that we see most of these fish spawning. And like I said, it's a two- to three-week period. You can certainly pick up some stragglers that are either spawned or, or um, haven't spawned yet uh, that are feeding in that shallow water. But for the most part, those fish that are shallow aren't necessarily going to be eating fish. And a spawning pike, of, you know, different from most of the other sport fish that we chase, whether it's, a, a you know, trout or even a largemouth bass or smallmouth bass that feed when they're spawning or when they're sitting on beds. But these fish are focused on getting their business done. They're thinking nothing about eating at all. So don't target those fish that are spawning. And once those fish spawn, their highest activity level is going to be in that, I'd say, 12 to 18 feet of water. So places like Spinney and 11 Mile, find those areas that are adjacent to the shallow spawning base and look for that, you know, I'd say, 10 feet of water at the shallowest and 18 feet of water at the deepest where you can target these fish. And a lot of times it's going to be, um, you know, you're not casting towards structure. You're just, uh, you know, picking these fish apart, whether it's using electronics and, uh, or, or fishing, you know, right along weed lines, if you can find them. But, you know, early in the year, most of the time, especially the winter like this with a lot of snow on the ice, we're not going to have a lot of weed growth um, like we've had in the past when these lakes have opened up. There's not going to be much weed. So these fish will be scattered across those, those 10 to 14, 18 foot flats. All right. We are over time, but you guys are down at um, the RV sport and travel show at the stock show complex. You're going to be doing seminars all day on pike fishing, walleye fishing, and number of other things. And if they want to book a guide trip for these pike right now or in the upcoming open water, it's just tightlineoutdoors.com and tightline outdoors uh, on Facebook. And I believe you're going to be in studio here coming up. 
Yep, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have some awesome, uh, as per usual, have some awesome guests coming up, uh, some professional muskie and pike anglers that are going to be talking all predators again. All right, my friend, uh, we will look forward to that, and we will talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Will Dykstra with Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to change things up, and we're going to talk some turkey hunting and patterning your shotgun right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right to the phones because our next guest is headed down to the Walleye Expo. Now, I don't know if he's planning on learning or partaking in some of the information, but he certainly could do all of those, although that's not what we're going to talk about. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Terry. You know, every celebrity from this show is going to be at that Walleye Expo and either viewing it or partaking in it. Now, what's a shooting guy doing going on? You don't like to fish, do you? Yeah. In this weather, I like to talk about fishing. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I used to tell people, they said, how did you get to you know, be on TV and radio? I said, well, I used to sit in bars and talk fishing for free, and now they pay me. So, <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, we, had a, we had a thing earlier, JR. Of course, JR's from Colorado Clays. We had a whole half hour on turkey hunting, and turkey hunters are passionate, and it's coming up. And a couple things, I know you guys do a thing for pattern. Patterning is so important. You also have a lot of statistics to share of things you looked at. First of all, where are you at with doing the patterning this year? Well, Terry, we're setting up a a real nice area for our turkey hunters. We're going to have ranges from 20 to 50 yards. Um, We're going to have a backer. They can, uh, you know, I do have some big sheets of cardboard with aim points. People can bring their own targets. Uh, Last year, the the picture of the turkey head target was real popular. So lots of options, and we're only getting ten bucks uh, to answer all the questions you want. Well, and patterning a turkey gun is so important because. Uh, they're hard to kill. And the way you can, people don't understand that when you're shotgunning for a turkey, you're aiming at putting as many pellets in that head area as you can. And patterning that gun is going to tell you what shot, what choke, and what distance your firearm performs the best when you're on a turkey hunt. I know you did a lot of uh, research on this last year. Did Anything you want to share with us? Well, Terry, I'm glad you brought that up because I think prior to going out and getting uh, your supplies is when you want to know the information I have here. So, yeah, it'll take a couple minutes, Terry, but I'd be glad to share. So uh, last year at Colorado Place Shooting Park, we did offer anyone planning a spring turkey hunt the opportunity to bring their gear, you know, that they're going to be using on their hunt out to Colorado Place to answer those questions every turkey hunter has. Um, before he or she heads in the field, and that would be, of course, which gun should I use? Some people have more than one gun available to them. Which choke, uh, what ammo, and, of course, what combination of those items give me my maximum effective range, meaning, like you just said, the, the number of pellets in that head, neck, spine area so you can get that good, clean kill. So last year we did compile some really good data based on the people and the equipment they brought out to the range to test. And we plan to combine this year's patterning results with those of last year for possibly even better conclusions on some of the variables we're going to encounter. So starting with the gun, uh, last year we did pumps, we did semi-autos and brake action type guns, uh, no single shots. All of the data I have is based on 12 gauge. 
Uh, some of them were older guns, some were newer, and then some were actually turkey hunting specific guns that some of the manufacturers offer. Uh, we use factory sights, everything from a single bead to a front bead and a mid bead, the like illuminated type sights, and I think I haven't had a scope in there. Uh, our barrel lengths range from 26 to 30 inches. Um, which gun to use, Terry, on our um, results is mostly going to be personal preference because we were able to get pretty good results from most guns if the correct choke and ambo combination was chosen. So there are considerations, though. Um, you know, length of the barrel can make it move easier through brush. Some of the camouflage guns, some guys did it on their own and some came that way, uh, could make the difference between getting a reflection and scaring a bird. The sling on some of those turkey guns, um, actually, if you're carrying in decoys and other gear, might be handy to have it over your shoulder. Of course, the sights that glow might be good for low light. And then one thing, Karen, we talk about this all the time, wear the clothes you're going to hunt in. Make sure that gun fits with your clothes and you can uh, get it mounted and comfortable with what you're going to see in the field. Next, and probably one of the most important things, uh, is our choke selection. So we tested everything. I had one fixed choke gun. Uh, most of them have factory removable chokes ranging from modified to extra full. And then, of course, we have those aftermarket turkey-specific choke tubes. Um, the fixed uh, choke gun with a full choke, he actually had some good ammo. He was good out to about 30 to 35 maximum. Um, the factory guns uh, with the factory chokes, most using that full or extra full, and the correct ammo could achieve decent patterns at 30 to 40 yards, but they did tend to have more flyer pellets outside the pattern. Their patterns could be a little more odd-shaped and less consistent densities throughout the pattern compared to the turkey tubes. So the extended turkey tubes, hands down, provided the tightest patterns, uh, the most consistent pattern density throughout the pattern, the least number of stray pellets outside the main pattern, and the longest effective ranges out to 40 to near 50 yards at times with the correct ammunition choice. So those tubes are expensive, but our results show they're well worth the investment. And then, Terry, as far as the ammunition, all of this being 12-gauge, we tested everything from 2-3-quarter, and three quarter, three and 3 and a half inch uh, We had ounce and a quarter to 2 and a quarter ounce loads, shot sizes ranging from 6-shot, 5-shot, 4-shot, and even some blends. Uh, we did lead and some of the heavy steel loads, and then general hunting loads and turkey-specific loads. And when paired with a tight choke, most of this ammo will give you results out to 30-plus yards. Uh, overall, a heavier shot, in, you know, charge, say two ounces, and a number five was the good choice for pattern density, consistency, and knockdown power. But, again, the loads designed for turkey hunting gave the best performance with a good turkey tube. So most of them were a two-ounce load. The lead and heavy steel both did well, and the blended loads did actually really well, giving you good pattern density and knockdown power. So that was kind of impressive. Um, the Most of the research obviously done uh, by the manufacturers uh, was on shot charges, meaning how much, the powder burn rates, and probably other factors. 
that create the good patterns and maximum ranges. So, again, our ammo manufacturers did their work, and uh, we, we found out that they are just a little bit above the standard hunting load or other ones. So one other little thing, Terry, um, whether you were sitting versus rested or standing had an interesting result, and that would be people sitting down, resting on their knees, had a tendency to shoot about 20% higher um, of the, on their target than those who were rested or standing. So I think the thing to remember on that is focusing on our target, keeping our head down on the gun and following through with the shot to eliminate that. So when it's all said and done, choose a gun you're comfortable with and confident with. Um, a good extended turkey tube is not required, but certainly worth every penny. And if you want the best results, uh, that turkey-specific ammo combined with that is going to be the best choice at this time. Right. That's great, great information. I know you're on your way, and we've got to run. But um, tell people where they can find – well, they can find you at the Walleye Expo today. But, exactly. and they can, And you're always willing to talk shotgunning and fishing, so don't be afraid to come up to Jr. He's the one that looks like a, a school teacher. Yeah, right. But yeah, <laughs> great guy. But Jr., tell them where they find you guys and when they can come out and start patterning turkey guns. All right. Thanks, Terry. We're going to start that this week. Um, give a call, set up an appointment with me. That works the best, so I can kind of schedule everybody to get the maximum out of this. Get a hold of us at the phone, 303-659-7117, or send us an email, coloradoclays.com, and we'll get you fixed up. All right, my friend, have fun at the Wally Expo. Going to be a lot. In fact, our next next guest, Austin Parr, I'm going to tell him specifically not to share any info with you until I beat you in the boat. <laughs> you better. <laughs> Thanks, Jr. Okay. You bet. Jr. appears from Colorado Clays. Great people, great facility. And this, we're going to be keep compiling this turkey information. It's fascinating. So, hey, we're going to change things up. We're going to talk some fishing and some other things with Austin Parr right after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. I tell you what, if you're into motorcycles or ATVs, Mark the um, the 16th on your calendar. That's next Saturday, I believe. They have a St. Patrick's Day party out there that is, you know, food. And they're going to have the manufacturers there. They have all the ATVs, the motorcycles. It's just their 88th in Washington is their address. But it's easy to find them. Just Google them. You spend Saturday there if you're into ATVs and motorcycles. You're going to have fun. Let's go right to the phones. We don't have a ton of time, but I want to take as much time with our next guest as we can. He's always a wealth of information on a broad array of outdoor topics, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. I'm more than welcome to have you. Are you joining us from the store today? We are at the store today uh, selling some equipment to guys heading out on the ice for the last couple of weeks here, and some guys also thinking about open water. Tell people where the store is, and then we'll talk a little bit. We're just south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive. And that's Discount Tackle. My friend, before we get to the fishing, there's a whole host of events going on today, and it is kind of a shoulder series for fishing, a lot of different things going on. I know you're attending. In fact, you're appearing at one of them. Tell us about those events real quick. 
Yeah, so at the Adams County Fairgrounds, coming up here actually starting at noon, uh, there's the Colorado Walleye Association Walleye Expo that features a host of, of different guides and, and fishermen of the area giving presentations, um, as well as a, a host of other events down there. So that's going to be a really neat one. I'm going to be talking about uh, live bait fishing at 1 o'clock, and then after that I'm going to be heading straight down south um, to the South Metro Pheasants Forever Banquet. So that's going to also be a good one, and we'll have, a, have some good trips. Uh, that we're going to be auctioning off down there as well as a, a host of other items. If they didn't pre-register for the Pheasants Forever, can they still attend today? You know, I believe they actually are full-on tickets down there right now, um, so they are sold out. Okay, so but I just want to know how important that is that um, that Pheasants Forever, you're, I know you're a big upland game hunter, and it does so much for our habitat, and if, and if you're not, and the Walleye Association too, if you don't attend yep. those events today, support these organizations. They do nothing but promote these activities that we love so much here. Austin, let's talk a little bit, and I'll preface what I, I know there's some guys on the front range that are still getting in a day or two of ice fishing. I'm looking out this window with 45 degrees sunshine and wind. And I can't help think there's going to be more open water in a couple of days than there is ice down here, or at least safe ice that I would want anybody to go out on. Now, there'll be exceptions, but most people aren't good at reading that ice. But bring us up to speed on the front range, what you're seeing. Yeah, so definitely use extreme caution if you're heading out on any of the lakes. You know, Chatfield is very notorious for having warm water springs that are coming up and melting the ice in areas. So if you decide you want to go out on any of these metro bodies of water, including Chatfield, make sure that you have a spud bar because you can have good ice in one area and immediately go to poor ice that's potentially a danger to fall through. So definitely utilizing caution is is important. But Bear Creek still is frozen. Aurora is about half frozen at the moment. Um, But then as you move down south... A lot of guys are starting to think about open water at Pueblo. So some of the jerkbait bites been picking up a little bit down there. Um, guys out in the boats are still getting on, uh, you know, a pre-spawn spooning bite, although that's not going to be lasting much longer for those walleyes here. Uh, but that bite's certainly picking up. And then the other thing to really look at right now are some of your river options, particularly tailwaters, such as the, the Pueblo tailwater down there on the Arkansas River. There's been a few spawning fish that have been coming up down there. Uh, you know, the, the betis action has been starting to pop, still some just coming around, so that's been good. And then even venturing up uh, toward 11 Mile Canyon and the Dream Stream, both have been fishing well. There's some spawning fish up in the Dream right now. But then, if you want to get away from the crowds, you know, fishing some emergers down in the, the canyon can be a pretty good bet as well. Um, I, I'm going to ask you about something, and I've been preaching this for the last two, three weeks. We had on and off ice all through the winter, so a lot of the Front Range lakes are heavily stocked with trout to accommodate ice fishermen. A lot of places like St. Vrain, Bar Lake, didn't get much ice fishing pressure. A handful of anglers were out there. I think as this water goes off, even today and tomorrow, you don't necessarily need the ice to be off the whole lake. You just need castable open water. Those stockable trout are going to be, they haven't been bothered. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be easy to catch. And I think there's going to be a lot of them, and it's going to be a bonanza. I think it's going to be a pretty good action, and particularly when you have areas of some moving water right now that may open up areas of castability while the, the ice is still on the rest of the lake. Um, you know, those type of uh, opportunities can, can really open up, and you can have some fantastic action uh, for your trout, maybe some other multi-species options, but then at the same time, you'll have some holdover fish in places like Chatfield Reservoir, where, or Aurora, for that matter. I actually just talked to a gentleman today that said that he was out on the ice um, this season, just in general, but catching a lot of fish that were in the 3- to 5-pound type range out there, so getting on some 
some of those open water edges, particularly utilizing the ice as a small structure point that those fish will congregate on. Just get right on the edge of where that open water ice is, obviously from the shore. Um, but casting to that area can really prove effective for a host of, of different trout um, in all different sizes. No, I think you're absolutely right that that's the case. And I think that um, I think we're going to see a lot of that fishing people can take advantage of uh, coming up here really quickly. And I think that they should get out there. I think even in the next couple of days, I drove by St. Verain on the way here. And uh, I just, um, I, I think that if on my way home, I could stop and catch a fish. I mean, Absolutely. There's, there's I would completely agree with there. that. Uh, so I think, you know, I've moved on from ice fishing. Normally, I push it right to the limit. Now, that being said, there is still good ice fishing action in the mountains. But how is it getting around up there? You know, there's definitely some slush in a lot of areas, particularly your big bodies of water in the Middle Park and North Park type ranges. Um, you know, Stagecoach especially is having a lot of slush on it. Granby and Williams Fork both have a lot. Dillon and Green Mountain as well. The fish are biting in those lakes, but the slush has been tough both walking and with a snowmobile. But then as you shift down into South Park, there's less slush down there. Um, 11 Mile actually has been fishing pretty darn well lately. Uh, we've had some reports of guys going out and having even 40 fish days as of late. So that's been really productive, although the ice is definitely thick so if you're going down there with a hand auger you know you may may want to make sure of where you're drilling first because we're hearing you know ice in the nearing 30 inch range but um, Terry all still fishing well down there with with limited slush and snow on the ice so that's easy to get around and then Antero although there's a little bit of slush out there is still manageable so you know if you're heading out ice fishing here particularly if you want to target lake trout make sure your boots are good and waterproof before you head out because you may be dealing with six or eight inches of slush depending upon the body of water that you're on. Well, I think you're absolutely right. We've got about a, just maybe a half minute left. The one thing I want to, I think if this, if this, uh, if we get a sudden warm up with the snow we've had, especially if we would get a thunderstorm or two, I think the rivers are, there's potential that they could be blown out for a long time. Yep, and that's where you might want to shift into a tailwater type area or, you know, really target your high plains kind of lakes this time of year. So Delaney Buttes or Lake John as we move in uh, to the runoff period. And then, you know, places like Antero, Spinney, and 11 Mile as everything comes off with the ice is all going to be good options for whether you're looking to fly fish or conventional fish. I think you're absolutely right. Once again, tell people where you're going to be. We have to run. So I'm going to be down at the Walleye Expo at the Adams County Fairgrounds coming up at noon today. If you have a little bit today, a little time today, head on over. It's going to be great. All right, my friend. We will talk to you again very soon. In fact, we got to get you. Uh, fishing's going to take off. We've got to stay on top of it. Excellent, Terry. Thanks so much for having me. You have a good day. You bet. That's uh, Austin Parr. Always a great resource. You know, we're kind of an in-between time right now, but um, if I was heading out fishing, I would definitely start fishing the small open water. The trout fishing and even bass and panfish is going to really take off, and it's a safe bet. If I'm going to fish uh, anywhere else, it's going to be the rivers. We're gonna. That ends it here today, and uh, you can catch us every Saturday from 9 to 11 here, and don't forget to stay tuned to uh, as the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on ESPN. Mm-hmm.